Hey, as you, as you secure your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. If you have your version Bible app, if you actually hit the live event button on that version Bible app, uh, you should see North Park Church populate right there. If you'll click North Park Church, all of the scripture and notes will be right there for you. You can go back after the message over, over and, and look through that. If you're not enjoying the message that I'm preaching, just click on another church and follow along with whatever they're doing. Maybe a blessing to you. Um, if, you if you're our guest today, I'm Pastor Anthony. I'm so glad that you're here. And it is possible for two realities to exist at the same time. In, in one sense, I love, adore, and am so thankful for Bree. On another hand, I am so angry, I can't even stand to look at you right now. I, I, don't, I love everybody at our church, but I don't like everybody the same. I like Bree more than I like anybody else. I always tell her that. Every time I say, I just love you. And this is her last day for a while. She's going to be uh, moving to some other foreign land, South Dakota, right? North Dakota, right? Um, I don't even know. If you're not going to be with us, I don't even know where you're going. It doesn't matter. But, uh, but she's coming back soon, and I believe that. I'm speaking that over her life, but we love you. Thank you for all you've done for our church. You're so, so a blessing to us. You're my friend. Man. I'm not even going back to life group. She's in my life group. I'm not even going back to life group. No, I'm kidding. I love you, Bree. Uh, so you pray for her. But we, uh, we love you. We're thankful for you. Um, today we're starting a new series that really is not going to make sense uh, because we're not really talking about Jericho today. That's always encouraging when your pastor says, we're starting a new series and it's not going to make any sense. Um, we're going to talk about the battle of Jericho next week. The series is really about the life of Joshua and I'm really super excited. I'm looking at those graphics because they're super cool because Gabe, one of our high school students, created that from scratch. Uh, he's super talented. I love it when our students are using their gifts for the Lord. Uh, but I'm excited about this series. I've been thinking about it a lot. Uh, I'm really um, just overwhelmed by the life of Joshua um, and, and his leadership. I learned a lot from it. And, and so I think we're going to learn a lot in this series from the life of Joshua. So Joshua chapter 1. Turn there, we'll get there in just a second. You know, I think we could all say that we're probably good at something. Uh, you know, we don't want, we don't want to be um, arrogant and say, oh, I'm great at this. Some of you would probably use this term, right? You say, I'm a jack of all trades, but master of none. A lot of us feel that way. But, but there are a couple of things we're gifted at. Let me just tell you, out of all the things I'm gifted at, golf is not one of them, okay? I am the worst golfer ever. People say, are you a golfer? I'm like, well, I own clubs, okay, that I use about three times a year, and that does not make me a golfer. I enjoy some things about golf. I enjoy riding in a golf cart. I don't know why I like a golf cart. I enjoy being outside. I like admiring the grass. I like the smells. I love the fellowship. I love the snicker bar and the Diet Dr. Pepper I get when you go around the 10th hole. I love that. I love it. What I don't like is the game. I don't enjoy the game. It's so hard and it's so frustrating. And, and, and my, my friend Grayson here invited me to play with him on, on Friday, which I don't get many invitations to play because I'm not very good. And so the fact that I got an invitation made me feel like I had to say yes. And so I went. And, and so, you know, we're playing along, and, and I'm, I'm not doing great. I'm really doing bad. And, 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 and all of a sudden, Grayson gets in the, in, in the car, and he looks at the scorecard because he had been keeping the scorecard the whole day, and I realized he was doing it incorrectly. And so um, I started writing my own numbers down on my scorecard. And Grayson just says, hey, uh, what's going on with the scorecard here? Because there's, there's a lot of birdies and eagles that I haven't seen. I don't even know, like, where did that come from? If you don't know anything about golf, that's really good. 
And, and this was my response. I was like, well, I just made a decision. I don't want to dwell on the negative things of life. So I'm just going to write down my good shots. I'm just going to ignore the bad. We're just going to write down the good things. Nobody wants to dwell on the bad things of life. But yet some people, we live our lives that way. For some reason, even those that are amazing things happening in our life, we will fixate on the negative things that are happening. Now, you've probably in your life seen back in the, not our, not our kids, because our, our high school students have probably never seen a comic strip. Back in the day in the newspaper, there were comics. And, and there was Charlie Brown and Peanuts. Do you remember that? And there was one particular cartoon strip that said this. This was Charlie Brown speaking to Lioness, and here was his response. He said, the moment that I was born and I stepped foot on the stage of life, everyone took one look at me and said, not right for the part. <laughs> That's a pretty negative way of looking at life, right? But here's what I want you to see. You were not born to lose. You were born to win. You were not born to lose. You were born to win. Now, Norman Vincent Peale is an author, in, and in his book, The Plus Factor, he tells about an experience in Hong Kong. He's just walking down the streets of the city, and he sees a, a tattoo shop. And in the window of the tattoo shop are all these examples of tattoos that they could get. So there's anchors, and there's flags, and there's swords, and hearts, and all these different things. But there's a couple of phrases that you could get tattooed on your body. And one of the phrases was, born to lose. And, and he thought, wow, that's really strange that a tattoo shop would advertise a tattoo that you would put on your body that says born to lose. And he started thinking, I wonder if anybody's ever chosen that as their tattoo. So he walks in and he asks the tattoo artist that question. Has anybody ever chosen this tattoo to put on their body? And, and the tattoo artist said, yes, actually a lot of people get that tattooed on their body. And, and, he, and he thought, why would somebody do that? So he asked that question, why would somebody choose that? as their tattoo, and, and I love the response. The, the tattoo shop owner in his broken English said this. He pointed to his head and he said, before tattoo on body, tattoo on the mind. Before tattoo on the body, tattoo on the mind. Some of us can't get past this process that we have going on in our mind that we were born to lose. And, and we've got this thing that's constantly playing on, on loop in our mind this, this idea that we are nothing, we've never been nothing, and we'll never be anything. And so we struggle with these feelings of inferiority and inadequacy. And some of us have struggled with that most of our lives. But what I want you to see is that, that you're going to win at life. And what does that mean to win at life? I mean like living on purpose and being who God called you to be. Like just moments before we came out of our... Our meeting in the first service this morning, Pastor Jonathan was doing a, a devotion with the team as he always does, and, and we pray, and, and he said something that stuck in my mind, and this is what he said, you, you aren't just filling a spot, like you're not just filling a hole, you're not just fulfilling a, 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 a job, but, but you are fulfilling a purpose. If you have a purpose in your life, you were created with purpose. God created you with purpose in mind. So you're not just living and breathing and taking up space and filling a spot, but you are fulfilling purpose. And if you're going to fulfill your purpose, we have to shake off this mentality of, of being inadequate and inferior so that we can experience what God has called us and created us to experience. And if there's anybody, who must have struggled with those feelings of inadequacy, it had to be Joshua. 
And the reason was because of the footsteps that Joshua was following in. Do you realize when Joshua took over as a leader in Israel, whose job he was taking? See, Moses, who we all know and we all love, he's a hero of faith. Moses, Charlton Heston even played his part, right? This is Moses. And when Moses died, somebody had to be the leader. So God called Joshua to take that spot. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, this is what it says. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, who was Moses' assistant. And he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you, Joshua, to lead these people, the Israelites, and you're going to lead them across the Jordan River into the land that I'm giving them. And then he goes on to say, I promise you what I promised Moses, that wherever you set your foot, wherever you place your foot, you will be on land that I have already given to you. So in this moment, like God is speaking to to Joshua and saying, "I, I know Moses, everybody knows Moses, one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. God spoke to him face to face, gave him the Ten Commandments. He authored the first five books of the Bible. Like all these things in Moses' resume. And God is speaking to Joshua saying, I, I don't want you to be Moses. I don't want you to follow in Moses' footsteps. I don't want you to follow in his path. I'm calling you and I'm equipping you to do something unique, something bold, and something courageous. And what I want you to see is inadequacy comes when we compare ourselves with other people instead of being who it is that God has called us to be. And we're the world's worst at it. And I think it's even gotten worse because of social media today. Because we're constantly comparing ourselves to everybody else that we see on social media. You can't tell me you've never like pulled up some old high school person that you went to high school with, you went to college with, and think, let me see how well they're doing. You know, okay, they're doing horrible. Okay, I feel great. You know, like somehow if we compare ourselves to like where are they in the race? Where are they in the journey? I need to be further along because they're further along. And when we do that, we set ourselves up for failure. I love what Robert Mandu said. I've quoted it often. That 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 comparison is the cancer to our own contentment. It's hard for us to be content in the calling God's place on our life when we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. But here's what we do. Like, it's even an unfair game because what you do and what I do is compare our insides, our weakest moments of life, to everybody else's highlight reel we see on social media. Just because you see it on social media doesn't mean it's accurate. It doesn't mean that everything looks as good as it does in that filtered Instagram post that they just put, you know. And and how many of you, let's just be honest, how many of you, when you post something on Instagram, it's about the eighth picture that you have to take. Just get the light right. Got to make sure everything's good. Everybody has to check it and make sure you are good. Everybody has to make sure we're good. Can't post it until until it's perfect, right? And so what we do is we compare ourselves to everybody else's highlight reel, and we don't ever feel like we measure up. You got to stop playing the comparison game. You are unique. God hasn't called you to run anybody else's race. He's called you to be unique. You weren't born to be anybody else, but you were called to bring your own uniqueness of who you are to this world. And the first step to overcoming your own inadequacy is to stop comparing yourselves to other people and discover the place that God has called you to be in this world. Finish this statement for me, okay? All right, if you you had to finish this statement, what would you say? 
I am blank. You finish the sentence. I am blank. How would you finish that? It's easy to fill the blank when you're talking about somebody else, right? Like I, I could say my wife is super amazing. She's an incredibly gifted leader. She's smart. She sings wonderful. And, and, and she's really, really beautiful. Like that's, that's my wife. I can describe my wife. My kids, man, my kids are awesome. They're so gifted and so talented. My, our church, our church family is anointed. They love Jesus, and they're so faithful, and they pray, and they believe. It's so easy to fill the blank when you're talking about somebody else. How would you fill in the blank if you're talking about yourself? And, and for some reason, some of us, when we try to do that, our mind immediately goes to this negative, defeated label that constantly limits our life. I like what President Theodore Roosevelt once said. He said in a speech, and it's rather lengthy, so it's good though, so follow. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the critical one that matters, right? Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the one, the man, the woman, who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, but there is no effort without error or shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who is at the best knows in the end the triumph of, how, of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. What's he saying? He's saying do something. You may fail sometimes, but do something. You may be victorious, do something. Don't just sit by and criticize everybody else who's trying to do something. You're not doing squat. Next Saturday, I will, I will, I will sit in my seat at Carter-Finley Stadium. I'm so excited. Man, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for action. And, and, man, I can't wait to see my, my, my marching band. Man, it's going to be awesome. The, 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 the football game is just a part of it. It's the band that gets me excited. And, and I love it. And the same thing happens all the time. And, and I'll sit in the stands. We're sitting in the same place. We're surrounded by the same people every time. And everybody is so super critical. And it doesn't matter what's happening. We're down by a touchdown. We need a new coach, right? Everybody is so critical in those settings. And, 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 and good heavens, let a wide receiver drop a pass in the open field. Good Lord. And this is the question that we ask. And some of you will ask it. Some of you will ask it, right? You'll, you'll say something like, how in the world did he drop that pass? You know, how did he not catch that pass? And in the back of my mind, I want to stand up and just begin to scream. Because he's an 18-year-old child, you know what I mean? Like, he's playing football in front of 50,000 people who are screaming at him. When's the last time you caught a pass like that, you know? Like, you go do something, you know? You out of shape person, just sit there and criticize my lord but we are so critical and 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 yet we just sit in the stands not doing 
not doing a thing. And if we aren't careful, we'll do that as followers of Jesus. We'll criticize that person and we'll grumble about this person. At least they're doing something while we just stand on the sideline. Joshua 1 and 10, I love this. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel. What that means is no time passed. So God raises up Joshua and says, now you're going to lead my people. Then Joshua commanded the officers of Israel. This is what he said. You go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you're going to cross the Jordan River. And we're going to take possession of the land that the Lord God has given you. I love that because he moves into action. There's a lot of leaders. They don't want to do anything. They promise everything, but they don't don't follow through on nothing, right? But Joshua steps up and he says, you know what? God said he's going to do it. Let's take him at his word. Let's step out. Let's put faith in action, and let's actually see God do something. And some of us spend more time complaining, criticizing, and contradicting than actually making a contribution. we got to make a contribution. I, I love to share things that I write in my journal and Just a few days ago, here's something that I felt like God was just speaking to me. And I just wrote these words. How many people are paralyzed because of fear, misinformation, selfishness, or pride? Some of us can become so paralyzed because of fear and misinformation, selfishness, pride, this feelings of inadequacy, inferiority, all these mental things happening in our mind. And when that happens, when you and I, when we are paralyzed for any reason, not only does it have a negative effect on our future, it has a negative effect on the future of every person that we have the opportunity to lead, impact, and to serve. Now let's just pause right there. What do we say all the time? We're not trying to raise up a group of people we can pastor, but instead we're trying our best to raise up a group of people that will pastor this city. That means wherever you go, on your campus, on your job, in that hospital you work, on that construction site, wherever it is that you spend your time, in that cubicle, in that boardroom, wherever it is, you have the opportunity to pastor your city, to lead, to serve, to impact the people around you. And if you are paralyzed because of this mental game that you're playing, it's not just impacting your life. It's impacting all of those people in your sphere of influence that God has called you to serve, to impact, and to lead. We say often, the enemy doesn't come against you because of your past. He comes against you because of your potential. He's he's trying to keep you from serving and leading and impacting the people around you. And, And Okay, play. So God has called us to pastor a city. We don't have time to mess around. Jesus is coming back, and it's time to put faith in action. It's time to get to work. It's time to be strong and courageous. It's time to do something. We have an assignment. We have a calling. We have passion. It's time to tap into the courage and strength that Jesus provides. Our future depends on it. Now, if you're paying attention, you realize I skipped a bunch of verses of Scripture. We started in chapter 1, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, and we skipped 5, 6, 7, and 8, and 9. Why did I do that? Because a few weeks ago, I ended a series called At the Movies in that same passage of Scripture. And if you recall that, we talked about one phrase that God speaks to Joshua three different times. You know what that phrase is? Be strong and courageous. That's right. He says, Joshua, Moses is dead. Now is your time. 
you've been the assistant, you've been training, you've been preparing, but now is your time, it's time for you to step in, and it's time for you to fulfill my purpose in your life, and as you do that, be strong and courageous. I'm going to equip you with whatever you need, I'm going to empower you, be strong and courageous. Don't worry about what you're going to say, the Holy Spirit's going to be speaking through you. I'm talking to you now, be strong and courageous. He spoke it three different times because he recognizes we need the encouragement to actually follow through. But it got me thinking, where does the strength and courage come from? If we're supposed to be strong and we're supposed to be courageous, where does that strength and courage come from? Is, is, it, is it inherited? Did you get it from mom and dad? Maybe, 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 maybe it's in your genes. You just are strong and courageous, and if you if you got you got a good hairline, you got abs and and strong and courageousness, strength and courage. Right? Words are hard. You know, is that where it came from? You know, I tell students all the time: you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Right? You show me your friends, show me your circle, show me the people you hang out with. Zach, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You show me who you hang out with, I'll show you your future. Why? Because you're so influenced by the people around us. So maybe you get strength and courage from the people that you surround yourself with. Maybe it's some of all of that. But I think it's more than that. Because Philippians 4.13 says this, For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It comes from Jesus. It comes from an intimate, personal relationship with Him. I can do all things. I'm thankful for my heritage. And I'm thankful that somewhere on the journey, somebody taught me that verse of Scripture. And somehow in my little brain, I turned it into a prayer. I don't know if somebody taught me that or it just happened, the Lord showed me, I don't know. But I remember as a child, like this early childhood experience, I, I remember just like praying, God, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I remember shortening it and it turned into, with you I can do anything, but without you I can't do anything. And I said that all throughout my childhood, and I've said it my entire life. I'd step up to a, to a baseball plate, you know, fixing the bat, and I would sit there and I would think, all right, God, without you I'm nothing, but with you I can do anything. You know, I give me a good base hit, and I'm on first base worshiping and rejoicing. I'd strike out, and I'm like, we'll get them next time, God, we'll get them next time. You know, they, they, we have some adversity, right? But over and over, God, with you I can do anything, but without you I can't do, can't do anything. I, I, maybe you're not even a Christ follower, and maybe you didn't even know that was a verse of Scripture, but you may be familiar with the phrase, because all of a sudden it's kind of taken the, the nation by storm because of a, a young man who plays baseball. His name is Steph Curry. Anybody ever heard of Steph Curry? What did I say? Yeah, I, I meant basketball. These are basketball shoes, not to be confused with baseball cleats, right? And 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 thank you. Fact check me, right? And and Steph Curry is an incredible basketball player, um, several time NBA champion, right? MVP. And 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 these are the actual shoes that he wore. Not really. These are the ones my son wore, and we paid a lot for them. But that. The, but these are Curry shoes. That's why I'm holding. Them. And 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 I love this guy because he's a great basketball player, but he's an incredible follower of Jesus, and he's very outward in his faith. If you want a little insider information, he actually attends the Central Church of God in Florida. His pastor's name is Loran Livingston, right? So he's a great follower of Jesus, and when he's not traveling, he's in his church. I know people on that staff, and they talk about his faith. It's not just something you see on TV or social media. He is a follower of Jesus and, and loves, loves his family. 
And a few years ago, when he, he first started um, in the NBA, we'll show a picture, um, he actually wrote a phrase on his shoe. He took a Sharpie, and, and he wrote the words, I can do all where did that come from? It came from Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so Steph wrote this as a, as a reminder that it's, that it's Jesus who is giving him strength. And then he got his shoe deal, and, and, and Under Armour paid him, I think it was $250 uh, for his shoe deal. That's a lot of money. And, and what they did, I always have a hard time finding it because on this particular pair it's kind of light. But, but right here on the bottom of the shoe, it says, I can do all things. It's not written in Sharpie. Every pair of shoes that's sold that are Curry shoes has that verse of Scripture on it. And what's cool about it is probably a lot of kids are stepping foot on a basketball court with his Currys on and have no idea that they're standing on God's Word. See, if you want to know how you were strong and courageous in the middle of the fight of your life, that's how you do it. You stand on God's word. You're firmly planted in your faith in Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We need a reminder that no matter what we're going through, I can stand on God's word. I can do all things. And so maybe you need a visual reminder. I told the first service, if you need to, get you a Sharpie. Ladies, write them on the bottom of your Louis Vuittons. I can do all things. Through Christ, somebody even said after service, they were like, you can even buy like, like glitter pins now and really dress it up on your pumps, right? You can do that. Whatever you need is a reminder that you are standing on God's word. Do it. I was at Lee this past weekend, and, and, and President Khan was talking about a, a chapel that they had built. And he said that he took a Bible, the same Bible that they give to, to all the students that are graduating from Lee University, and he said he took that Bible and he wrapped it in cellophane. And before they poured all the footers and foundation in, in the building, they took that Bible wrapped in cellophane and he put it in the doorway of, of that chapel and then they poured concrete over it. And he said, I, I did that because they, they might not even see it. Like they might not even know it. They might not even know it's there. But I want to be reminded that every person that walks through that door is standing on the foundation upon which we build everything. And that's the Word of God. See, you, you might not go around screaming Scripture at everybody, but when you're standing on God's Word, they might not even know what it's about, but they're going to sense something's different. You're responding differently than everybody else. Other people who are walking through the same thing that you're walking through, they're not responding like you're responding. Why is it? Because I'm firmly planted in God's Word. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I, I believe there's greatness on the inside of you. I believe in you. I believe in your families. I believe in your marriage. I believe in your children. I believe in this church family. I believe God is going to do incredible things in your life. God has created you with a purpose, and He has a plan for your life, and we just want to help you find it. But I'm not naive enough to think that there's not going to be some adversity. I'm not naive enough to think that you're never going to experience some issues in your life where you're going to be told. But you've got to get your head right. You've got to keep your mind right. That's why the Bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
And the enemy's playing these mind games with you and telling you that you're nobody and you're nothing. You can't do anything. You remind him, I can do all things in Christ who is giving me strength in this moment and courage in this moment. In this moment. I read about a little guy and somebody gave him a, a baseball bat and a baseball for his birthday and, and he walked out into an open field all by himself. Nobody was there and and, and he walked out and he just screamed, I am the greatest batter in the world. And he throws up that ball and he swings, misses and says, strike one. But I'm the greatest batter in the world. And he picks that ball up and he throws it up and he swings and says, strike two. But I'm the greatest batter in the world. And he throws it up a third time and he swings and misses and says, strike three, you're out. But his faith did not waver. And to an invisible crowd, he proclaimed, I am the greatest pitcher in the world, right? Sometimes you're going to feel like you strike out. Don't let your confidence waver. You can do all things. He's giving you strength. I'm thankful that it doesn't say, I can do some things. I can do the easy things. I can do the convenient things. I can do all things. And now I know, I know the shoe only tells half the story because the shoe says, I can do all things. But don't you dare get in your head that it's because you're great. Don't you dare get in your mind, I can do all things because I'm self-made and I'm resilient and I'm strong and I've made it through a lot and I can make it through some more. Don't you ever forget, you can do all things because Christ gives you that strength doesn't come from your own resilience. It comes from a personal relationship with Jesus and from learning to depend on Him when you realize your resources are not enough. I'm going to tell you the same thing my dad's always told me. One of the first times I ever preached, or ever preached, my, my dad pulled me aside and he said, Son, I'm going to tell you, you need, you need to pray. Like you, need to, you need to get in touch with the Lord. Like you need God do this, he said, because if you don't, you're giving the people what you've got. My dad's a big fan, but he looked at me and he said, and son, that ain't a lot. He said, but when you spend time with Jesus, you're giving the people what the Holy Spirit has given you, what God's given you. I tell you the same thing. As you serve, as you lead, as you impact, as you pastor a city, man, you're pretty awesome. You're nice people. You're smart, you're generous, you can do some cool things. But if you don't spend time with Jesus, if you're not in His Word, you're just giving the people what you have. And it ain't a lot. But when you spend time in the presence of God, and His Spirit is flowing through you, that's what changes lives. That's what changes a city. That's what changes the world.